Well, I also want to welcome you uh, this morning, those here at 930 and those uh, upstairs in the cafe. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here. And if this is your first time, thank you for being here. Uh, we'd love to meet you and, and welcome you. If you have any questions about the life of our church, I'd love for you to stop by one of our connecting points uh, where we have staff and volunteers who'd love to answer any questions that uh, you might have about the life of our church. I want to mention something uh, off the top real quick. Uh, we are in a season of giving thanks. Uh, pray that you are blessed by your Thanksgiving celebration in this, uh, in this coming week. But we're also entering into a season of general generosity um, as, as we approach the final month of the year. And I want to tell you a little bit about what you as a congregation did, did last year. In the month of December of 2018, uh, through your gifts and your in-kind donations, uh, you gave almost a million dollars last December. You should clap for yourselves. That's pretty good. That's... Uh, that's, that's never happened before. So that's, uh, I, I was amazed by that. But I want you to hear two, two things in that, two things that are important for, for, for each of us as a, as a congregation. First, I want you to hear that that's important for us because it helps us finish the year strong. That's a, that's a big deal for, for any church as they move into a new year. But here's the second thing that I want you to know that is, that is equally, if not more important than that, uh, which is that almost half of, of those gifts immediately went out uh, into our community and in communities around the world. Uh, some of those, uh, uh, those gifts, those in-kind donations were through something called Angel Tree. And you can pick up an angel today, we'll have those this week and uh, next week, and then uh, gifts that you might purchase you bring back the following week so that we may bless many. But again, I want you to know that, that your church uh, not only was, was incredibly generous last year, but of those gifts, uh, more than half of them immediately went out the door. Uh, to help and bless and serve those in need. So, so thank you. I hope you're proud of that and proud of your church and what your church does uh, each and every day uh, with your gifts. If you have your Bible today, I wanna encourage you to open that to John chapter 21. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can find John chapter 21 on page 1687 in the blue Bibles that we have uh, here in our worship spaces. Uh, we are in the last week of this series uh, that has been built on this conviction that we all have a story worth sharing. And over the course of these weeks, we've looked at the various reasons why we struggle to believe this, while we, why we are more inclined to affirm the idea that some of us have a story worth sharing instead of all of us having a story worth sharing. Because some doesn't mean all, and all obviously includes you, it obviously includes me. And when it comes to our own story, I think on some level, we all struggle to see the value in that. Uh, what value it might be for someone else if we we were to learn that story and then have the courage to share with them the story of our own lives. And I'm going to do something a little bit different than I had originally planned for this, this final message of the series. Uh, we've been looking at a, encounters that Jesus has with individuals in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at the final encounter that we had planned to do. But I'm going to spend a little less time on that than I, than I had originally planned. Because at the end of the message, I want to address a question, a, a sentiment that I've heard from many people of the course of the last few weeks, which is that I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what my story is. In other words, uh, the, an expression of, well, even if I were to buy into this idea that I have a story worth sharing, that we all have a story worth sharing, I'm still trying to figure out what that story 
might be that I would share with others. And so at the end of the message, I wanna spend some time just kind of walking you through a model of learning your story. We're just gonna kind of begin that, but I hope it's something that will get you started in thinking about your story and, and seeing in your story the value of learning it and then sharing it with others. But first we'll look at this encounter in John chapter 21. The reason why uh, this is an important encounter and an important last one for us to look at in this series is because within this encounter, the individual who meets Jesus here is like all of the other characters that we have looked at along the way. He's really experiencing all of the challenges that others have faced in, in encountering Jesus that we've looked at in previous weeks. Like in Nicodemus, that's where we started, John chapter three. Like Nicodemus, we find someone who has lost himself. He's completely lost his way. Like the woman at the well, John chapter four, this is someone who is now living under a great cloud of shame. Like, uh, John, uh, like John chapter five with the, the paralyzed man, this is, this is someone who was stuck in their life unable to see beyond the, uh, their, their past into a, into a new day. Like the man born blind in John chapter nine, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. This, this is someone who believed that he would forever be known by the ad- identity that he'd been given. The, the way in which he saw himself and the way he assumed that others saw him. He, he's really all of these things here in this final chapter of John's gospel. And the individual that we're looking at is one of the disciples of Jesus named Peter. And the reason that Peter is all of these things is because of two events that happened on the night that Jesus shared his final meal with his disciples and on that night when he was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane after he was betrayed by one of his other disciples. Uh, what, uh, what followed that, in, in the hours that followed, uh, that what, what occurred was what Jesus had said all along was going to happen. He was brought before the, the Jewish ruling council. He was then handed over to the Romans. He was convicted by the Romans. And the next day he was crucified. And throughout each of the gospels, Jesus prepares his disciples for this. He tells them what's gonna happen at the end of his life. And in the context of that last supper, uh, in, in John's gospel, Jesus had again predicted what would eventually occur in, in the hours that were to come. But Peter, as he does in, in other gospels, Peter stubbornly refuses to believe that this is gonna happen to Jesus. And in John 13, 37, this is, what, this is what Peter says. He says, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. The modern translation of that would be, over my dead body, is that gonna happen? No way. And in the next verse, for some reason, Jesus tells Peter in advance that he will not be able to live up to those bold words. In fact, what Jesus says is before the morning comes, you will actually deny me three times. Now that alone must have hurt Peter as after proclaiming these bold words to hear from Jesus that he didn't have faith in him to live up to what he had just said. But that pain was nothing compared to what happened later that evening when what Jesus had predicted had actually become a reality. That following his arrest, when he was taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, the inside Jesus is, is facing uh, the Jewish ruling council. Peter is outside in the courtyard uh, with, with others surrounding a campfire. And in that setting, Peter does exactly what Jesus had said he was going to do. He denied Jesus three times in order to save himself 
from what Jesus was about to face. Now in John 21, we're on the other side of that. The final thing that was a part of what Jesus had said would occur had occurred. Jesus had come back from the dead. Overwhelming grief had been transformed into immense joy. The, the, the dark night was over and Jesus in his final sign that he was in fact the son of God, Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. In John 21, Jesus is appearing to a group of his disciples for the third time. There are seven of them, they're on the Sea of Galilee in a boat fishing when they look on the shoreline and they recognize Jesus. And after they make it to the shoreline, getting out of the boat, they see that Jesus has a fire and he's cooking some fish on the fire, preparing a meal for these disciples. And so they gather with him and they're sharing this meal. And in the context of that meal, uh, this is what happens beginning with verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you want, wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he, Jesus, said to Peter, follow me. So I want you to put this uh, all together with me. We're on the other side of those tragic events um, that, that took place in John chapter 18, the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, uh, the, the eventual uh, uh, word that had come down from, from Rome and his crucifixion. He'd been laid in a tomb, but he'd come back from the dead. Uh, the world was back uh, as it should have been according to the disciples. The, Jesus ha had returned and every, uh, every grief, every sorrow that they had experienced in those days, that was in the rearview mirror. And, and now again, they're sharing a meal with Jesus and, and again, Peter is around a campfire. And in that context, Jesus turns to him and asks Peter a question that must have cut him to the heart. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And I want you to imagine with me the emotion of this moment, what that must have felt like for Peter and why that question must have been so painful for him to hear. Because Peter knew what Jesus knew. Peter knew that Jesus knew what had happened that night. Peter knew that Jesus knew that in Jesus' moment of greatest need, Peter had failed him. He had denied him three times. And, and everyone else around that campfire, the six other disciples, they also knew that Jesus knew what Peter had done. 
And so you can imagine all of them in this moment of discomfort just kind of putting their heads down. And Peter perhaps hanging in his, his head in shame, maybe even holding back tears as he quietly said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Oh, and then it got worse because Jesus asked again, Peter, do you love me? And again, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then a third time, it must have felt like the dagger being pushed even further into his heart. Jesus asks him one more time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know all things. You know that I love you. And again, I want you to think about the emotion of this moment for Peter what it must have felt like to be on the other side of this dramatic turn of events. Jesus had returned, everything that occurred was was in the rearview mirror and yet he still knew everything that had happened that night and he knew that Jesus knew and now he's hearing this question, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Can you imagine, can you imagine the emotion of that moment, the pain that Peter must have felt? And I know some are thinking, well, no, I can't imagine that. I mean, that just seems overwhelming to have have disappointed, to have let Jesus down so dramatically. And and now to hear this question, just just this question that would cut to the heart, do you love me? You may think, "I, I can't imagine that. But if you spent just a few moments thinking about it, my guess is that all of us would find ourselves thinking, well, actually, I think I can imagine that. I think I, I think I might actually be able to re- relate to that. Because my guess is that, that a- along the way, somewhere in our life, somewhere in, in the midst of our story, maybe even right now, we have found ourselves at that same place that Peter is at this moment in his life. We found ourselves assuming that we have already passed the end of our story. That the final chapter in our story had already been written and that we would forever be known by whatever mistake we made in the past, whatever shortcoming we had found in our life or whatever dramatic turn our life had taken. For Peter, he he must have assumed that he would forever be known as the disciple who denied Jesus. Judas was the one who betrayed him, right? I mean, Judas was the one who brought the people to the garden who would arrest Jesus, but Peter was the one who denied him. And in his mind, it's not a stretch for us to believe that for Peter, there was nothing different between those two acts. His act, he must have thought, was equally as shameful as the act of Judas because he was right there and he had spoken those bold words but he had let Jesus down and so you can imagine that Peter is there thinking my story's over my last chapter's been written this is this is who I am and who I will forever be known as and maybe you found yourself at that place in your life as well assuming that you've already passed the end of your story. 
Now think about it this way. Whenever somebody goes and sees the, the, the recently released movie before we do, or we're reading a book that they have read before, or, or we're waiting to watch the game later, but they already know the final score. There's this phrase that we use. We say, don't spoil the ending, right? Don't tell me how it ends. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what happens to Luke Skywalker at the end of this movie. I don't want to know how this book ends. Don't tell me the score. I'm looking forward to watching it later because we have this sense that if we know the end of the story, if we know the outcome of the game, if, if we know how the movie concludes, well, then there's not a lot of value in going back and engaging with the rest of the story, right? We don't want to watch the game anymore. We don't want to finish the book. We don't want to go see the movie because we know how the story ends. And when you know how the story ends, you begin to diminish the value of the rest of the story. And so if you have the sense that you already know the end of your story, if you know the final chapter, that it's already been written, that you'll forever be known by what has happened in the past, here's the end result. And here's where many of us are when we think about the value of our story. We don't see it because we're convinced we already know how the story ends. We already know that the die has been cast. We already know that this is who we are. This is who we'll always be. This is how we will forever be known. The final chapter is done. And it's been crafted and shaped by what we did or who we once were or, or, or something that has occurred in our life that we've never been able to move past. And if at any point in your life, or maybe right now you find yourself at that place, I want you to notice here what Jesus is doing. Because at first glance, it may be like, man, he is really laying on thick for Peter. What is going on? Jesus asks Peter, three times do you love me? Three times Jesus gives to Peter the opportunity to affirm his love of Jesus again. He gives him the chance to affirm his love of Jesus for every single time that he had denied Jesus. And while it may not look like this at first glance, here's what's happening. Jesus is telling Peter, I forgive you. And in forgiving him, Jesus is saying to Peter, I give you permission to forgive yourself. You gotta forgive yourself. Because the other thing that Jesus is doing here, maybe the most significant thing that Jesus is doing here is that in this exchange, he's also pointing Peter to the rest of his story. He says, take care of my lambs. Take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus is saying, we're not done here. We're not done here. There's another chapter to your story. There's something I need you to do. There's a new life that I need you to live. There's a restoration that I need to have happen in your life. There's forgiveness I need you to receive from me. There's forgiveness you need to give yourself because we're not done here. And there is another chapter that is waiting to be written in your story. So don't spoil the ending by assuming that it has already been written because what this story testifies to each of us when we think about the power of our story and, and the totality of our story, it's a reminder that a new chapter can begin. When we receive the forgiveness of Jesus and in receiving it, 
we find the capacity to forgive ourselves. And in forgiving ourselves to see a door open, to see restoration come, and to see a new chapter begin. So we're gonna do something else today. But before we do that, I wanna give you a chance, just a moment of prayer. Because my guess is that somebody today needs to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Or someone today needs to forgive themselves. And so I wanna invite you for just a moment to bow your head, not in shame, but to bow your head as a way of humbling yourself before God. And as a way of receiving the forgiveness of Jesus and as a way of sharing that forgiveness with yourself, I want to invite you to yourself in in your heart or whispering to yourself to simply say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Just make that your prayer. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, Jesus, I love you. I want to invite you to hear the voice of Jesus. I want to invite you to hear the heart of God who says, I love you. I care for you. I forgive you. We're not done. Receive grace. Open our hearts, Lord. Pour into us. Overwhelm us with the love of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here's what I want you to do, if you don't mind. I'd I'd love for you to grab your bulletin and to turn it over to the back. Uh, There's a place where you can write some things down, uh, which means that you'll need a pen or pencil in order to write those things down. And I want to walk you through uh, a response to the question um, or, or the sentiment that I'm, I'm still trying to figure out uh, my story. Last week you had the chance, if you were here, to, to hear from Dr. V, our retiring superintendent of schools here in Mansfield. Uh, if you missed that, you can go back online and watch that. I encourage you to do so if you didn't get the chance to hear, hear him. I introduced him by sharing two things with you, that I invited him to come and share his story, not only because of the content of his story, but also because of the way he told his story, the model that he used in learning his own story and then sharing his story with you. And I wrote about this this week, um, I, and I expressed the model in this way, that you learn your story by piecing together the significant learnings received at significant places uh, within the significant relationships and significant moments of your life. So a lot of what I'm gonna share with you, you can find, if you look at the bottom of your message page, you'll see a, a website. Uh, again, I wrote about this this week, so you don't, have, don't write everything down that I'm gonna share with you. Uh, but I, I wanna... In, just invite you to begin walking through each of these four categories of your own story. Uh, and, and just on your message page, I want to invite you just to jot some notes. And the reason, that, here's why I want you to write it down. 
I, I have found that until I write something down, I don't know what it is I need to say. I write down every word of a sermon before I share it with you because I don't know what to say until I've, I've written it down. There's power in writing it down and I wanna encourage you to just start that process today. So if you would, find a pen on the back of your bulletin. Uh, we're just gonna walk through each of these four categories and I want you to, to reflect on what was significant about the moments, relationships, places, and, and learnings that you have received over the course of your life. And we're gonna start at the end with significant moments. And whether you need to go from now backwards or from the beginning to today, you know, I don't know how that works for you in your mind, I want you to think about and to simply jot down a few notes about the significant moments that you've experienced in your life. Now, I'm gonna to read to you some of mine. Don't write mine down. But I'm just going to share them with you, hopefully just to, to spark your own thinking about, about your life, okay? So as I read these, um, don't look at me, by the way. This is kind of like at a wedding, you know? I tell couples when you're taking your vows, the only way to mess it up is to look at me. You're not making promises to me. Look at one another. But just, just look at your page and think about the significant moments. Write, write down some, some notes. What, what are the most significant moments you've experienced in your life? I wrote down, becoming your senior pastor was one of the most significant moments in my life. Uh, when our family moved to Mansfield was a significant moment in, in my life. When my kids were born, my wedding day was a significant moment in my life. In high school, when I experienced a call to ministry. In college, when I felt an affirmation of that call. When I committed my life to Christ. You, so you might think about transition moments in your life. And as you th think about significant moments, don't, don't avoid those that may have been painful and even heartbreaking. One of the most significant moments in my life was, was the loss of a friend two weeks before um, my wedding. A very close friend for Stephanie and I. It was a significant moment in my life. So just jot down a few words about that that will remind you later of those, those significant moments that you've experienced in your life. The second thing is significant relationships. And hopefully in thinking through moments, you've already thought of some of those people because there are individuals who are tied to those moments. So who are they? Who are the people who have entered into your life, maybe only sharing a season with you, but, but the significance of that relationship, it changed you. Write their names down. Who are those who have been most significant in your life. I was mentored for a decade by a, by a pastor named Mike. God brought into my life a woman named Stephanie. Maybe you would think of a family member, a coach, a teacher, a mentor. I 
Think about my campus minister, my youth pastor. Who is it for you? What are the most significant relationships in your life? And then next, think about the places, the physical location of those moments or the context where those relationships were lived out. For me, this sanctuary is one of those places. Maybe it is for you too. Glen Lake Camp, church camp, significant place in my life. What are those for you? Where are those sacred spaces? Where have you built an altar? Can you think of where those places are? Maybe it was in a home. Maybe it was in a hospital room. Maybe it was around a campfire. This week I was thinking about my papa's house. I was thinking about his garden. And I, I realized that I, that I still remember the way the door would squeak when he opened it, when we were leaving. Because that's when he would look each and every one of us in the eye and say, I love you, and then he would give us a hug. And for some reason that sound is still there. I don't know why we never fixed it. Finally, what are the learnings? What have you learned as a result of these moments, these relationships, and these, what have you learned in these places? What have you learned about God? What have you learned about yourself that you didn't know before? What have you learned about your relationship with God? How have you been shaped by these relationships, these moments and experiences, by these places? How have you grown? What is different about you today because of these significant things in your life? Now the next step is just to begin maybe writing a sentence or two in relationship to each of the markers that you have placed as you kind of put together a timeline and you think about your life and your story. Begin writing a sentence, then maybe a paragraph. And as you do that, hopefully you have already, you already are seeing this as you've just jotted down a few notes. You're beginning to see the value of your story. The things that you've learned along the way, the way you've been shaped, the people, the places, the moments that have done that work in your life. I want to encourage you to keep going with this, to spend more time looking at that and thinking through that so that you can really value and understand what your story really is. So six weeks ago, we started with this idea that we all have a story worth sharing and I told you that I was going to spend six weeks trying to convince you and my time is now up. I've done all I know to do. 
and now it's up to you to make the decision on whether you think there's anything of value in your story. Let me pray for you. Loving God, thank you for new chapters in our life. Thank you for the reminder here at the, at the end of John's gospel of this great moment of grace and restoration that you shared with Peter. And I wanna pray specifically, Lord, today for those who, who need to receive that. We are grateful, Lord, that you are the writer of this story. And that the imagination and creativity you bring is beyond our own. You can see a new day when we can't see anything. So I pray, Lord, that you would enable my brothers and sisters to fully understand the way in which your grace has been at work in their life and the power of what you have done in them. That they would know the power of sharing that with others. Enable them, Lord, to be brave in sharing their story. In Jesus' name, amen.